to be classic 80s underground the heavy metal mayhem radio show with your host mike the big cheese
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. We started things off there tonight with the King, King Diamond, that is, and the arrival. You know, now the King is healthy and feeling better. Hopefully we'll get some new music out of him, you know, maybe this year or next year. I know he was working on those uh, old King Diamond, Merciful Fate uh, DVDs before he had the heart problems and, and, and was sick. So I don't know if he's getting back to that and maybe going to put them out, but I would love to hear some new music, and I would really, really love to have Merciful Fate, the original line of Get Back Together. It seems like now all the different members are starting other projects and things are getting going with that, but you know, let's get them back together. Let's get a new classic Merciful Fate album now. Let's go back to the old days. Let's do it now while everybody's still young, relatively, and healthy, you know? So let's not wait till it's too late. You know, that's the worst thing in life, you know? All right, well, like I said, I got a great show tonight. Dan Watson from Hex is our guest. We'll be talking to Dan live in about an hour or so. And right before that, Marcus Seepin from Blind Guardian and his band Sinbreed. We'll be talking with Marcus in a little bit also. We'll get that interview on in about 20 minutes or so. And like always, Mr. Kent Pierce will be letting us know everything going on in the New York City area for the next seven days. And uh, I got to hang out with Mr. Pierce this past Friday night along with Tommy. We went to go see Satan. They came over from England the first time ever. You know, and it's been like 30-something years, I think 32 years since the band was started. And man, what an amazing show. We met up with Kenny a little later because naturally Mr. Pierce was all over the metal calendar Friday night. He was at the caucus show in Manhattan before trekking into Brooklyn to see Satan. And uh, wow, I'm telling you, they blew me away. If I don't see any other shows this year in my lifetime, this was the show of all shows to me. They just sounded amazing, man. It felt like 1983 all over again. I can't say it enough. I know they're doing about a half a dozen more shows. They're probably up to the third or fourth one right now. Uh, I think they have a few more this week, and then they're heading back over to England. But if they're in your area, I think there's a show coming up in uh, Pennsylvania tonight. Uh, I think, uh, or no, I think tonight they're in uh, Massachusetts. But uh, I think they're in Philadelphia in the next couple of days, and then, uh, and, uh, then Baltimore. If you can catch some more of those shows, go ahead. Brian Ross's voice is just absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it was like one of those Live of Memorex commercials. He just sounded dead on. Like to the record, and it was amazing. They did a lot of great songs off the Caught in the Act record, and then the new one, Life Sentence, you know. And they actually threw in Keys to Oblivion, which was on an album that was recorded after Brian left the band uh, with the other singer. I, I, I want to say it's Michael Jackson that sang with them, not the, you know, not the Black Pop Star. There was another one, or, or someone else. I can't remember who was on that record, uh, but they actually did that song also. They had to read from the lyric sheet because they didn't even know the words to it. And I was kind of surprised that they even did that song because they have so many other songs they could have chose off the other records, but. You know, I guess the other members of the band wanted to do something else, too. But it, he did a great job, and then he kind of made it his own. Uh, but like I said, definitely catch him if you can over these next couple of shows. I hope that they come back again. It was just a phenomenal show. And the place in Brooklyn, I mean, it was sold out. There were people trying to get in, and they just couldn't. And, you know, Ken said last week, you know, the place is going to sell out. So get your tickets now if you want them. But a lot of people didn't listen, and uh, they were kind of locked out, which was a shame because they missed a phenomenal, phenomenal show. And I don't remember who the promoter was. I think it was a place called BBQ Booking that put it on. I got to thank them for bringing Satan over here because, like I said, it was great. It was like a dream come true to me. And uh, I tell you, I think the place held maybe 200, 250 people. And it was literally like, you know, you were like standing shoulder to shoulder in that place. I honestly think if they had gotten a bigger venue, maybe something that could hold three, four, maybe even 500 people, I think they would have sold it all out. I got to be honest with you. Just, just how, what a vibe it was there that night. Maybe they wouldn't have, but I think they could have done it. So... Catch them if you can. All right, here's a song that they did do off that right. You know what? Let me do something else first, and then maybe we'll come back to Satan, you know, because i got to go dig up uh, in the files for that. And I don't know if I'm anywhere even near that right now. Let me see here. 
Yeah, I want to get on a song by Satan before I do anything else. So, all right, we'll do that. Uh, they did an amazing version of Alone in the Dark. That's one of my favorite songs uh, by the band off the Court in their Act record. So, uh, how about we get that on for everybody? We got Satan, Alone in the Dark. <laughs>
right, that was tension with shock treatment, and I had to play that after Satan only because I ran into a dear old friend that I haven't seen in 30 years at the Satan show, uh, Mr. Jim Powell from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. The last time I saw Jim was at the Merciful Fate concert at Lemoore's in Brooklyn in 1984 at the, at the signing at Zigzag Records before then, and Jim and I have been friends all that time. And, you know, like I said, it's been 30 years, so it was great to see him again. I put the tension with that only because Jim has a production company, or he did back in the day, called Metal Grind Productions, and they put out the Epitaph uh, album by the band Tension. Uh, I think it was like 1997 that that came out. And uh, it featured, you know, it was remastered versions of their first record, Breaking Point, from 86. There was the Epitome EP that never came out from 87 that he had on there. And then a couple of live tracks that were recorded by the band. So uh, if you don't have that, right, I don't know if you can find it anywhere. Probably on eBay, I guess, or maybe a used copy if you can even find it somewhere. But Jim is a diehard metalhead. He's, out on the, he's going out on the road with Satan for the entire six shows here in the U.S. So uh, he's going to have a good time. And it was great to see him again. Looked exactly like he did when he was a teenager. Just a little less hair these days. But it was great to see you, Jimmy. And we'll do it again in 2044, buddy. I promise. All right. How about we get on a Blind Guardian song? We'll have the interview with Marcus. Dan Watson from Hex will be calling in the second half of the show. Mr. Ken Pierce will tell us what's going on in the New York area over the next seven days. So here you go, some Blind Guardian, right into Obsession.
Marcus, this is Mike. How are you? I am fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Really nice to talk with you today. Yeah, that's good. Uh, let me just let me just adjust the volume here a bit. Can you say something? Sure. Can you hear me? Am I coming through? Uh, again, please. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, I think it should be okay. Okay, great. Well, listen, Marcus, it's really great to talk with you today. Being a big Blind Guardian fan from you know the very beginning, it's Thank great you. that you have Simbri going on now. And I know you were with the band for a little bit, like with some live shows, but now you're like an official member. Yes, that's correct. Um, well, it, it, actually, it, it started funny. You know, we've been on, on the road with Blind Guardian in, in, I think, 2011. We were in South America, and Frederick was asking me if I would like to play a couple of shows with the guys, because at that time, Flo was the only guitar player on the band, and especially live, this can be limiting uh, when it comes to heavy guitar sounds. And... Um, I like the idea, I like the music of Simbri's, uh, so um, I learned the set, played a couple of shows with them, and uh, I think after two or three shows, they asked me if I would like to join permanently, and I liked it, so here I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, for like the last 27, almost 28 years, you've, you know, just played with Blind Guardian, Blind Guardian only, so it's, it, it, was it, this the time to like, get involved with another band, or did you want to try something different? Um, I, I can't really say if it was the time, but it was a very interesting experience for me because, as you mentioned, I mean, I've, I've been with my Guardian forever, and um, I never played with any other bands, or never, you know, I've also never really been the type of person or guitar player that jams with tons of people. So um, playing with different people was was a very interesting experience for me. Obviously, I was used to playing with Frederick since he's sure. a garden drummer as well. But especially uh, playing with Flo was a very new experience for me because his way of playing is completely different to Andre's way of playing, for example, and that's my guitar partner since almost 30 years. So, you know, when Andre and me play together, we, we know what the other one will play and how he's performing and how he's interpreting certain things. And uh, with Flo, that was different. So that was completely new territory for me. I think I learned a lot as a player, you know, adapting to somebody that you're not used to playing with. It was great. It was great fun for me. Sure. It still is, obviously. Sure, like you said, when you play with the same person for almost three decades, you're very comfortable, and like you, you can read each other, and you know where the other person is going. So it is like a new experience playing with somebody new. I guess you have to get used to that and you know, kind of adapt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, as I said, Flo's way of, of, of playing is different compared to Andre's way of playing. It's also different compared to my, my own playing. So uh, we have to adapt to each other a bit, but I think it, you can only learn from this as a player, and I think it's also good for the music of the band, because um, if, if two people playing the same instrument would have the very same characteristics and the very same style, you know, um, and it can of course work, but if two people are rather different, it can only add to the music, so I think it's a good thing. It, it really is. You know, Sembri's not a brand new band, they've been around quite some time now, but the second record, Shadows, is out now. I mean, you know, with the new record coming out and being a part of it, you know, now from the beginning with this album, I mean, do you feel like you're like, like a new guy, like a new kid in the block, or the band is like new and just starting up? Because most of you have, you know, name recognition from other bands. Does that help out any, or do you still feel like, you know, we have to start from the beginning? Um, well, 
obviously Sindri doesn't have the same status uh, as Blind Guardian. So when, when it comes to, to um, recording budgets or, or touring conditions or whatever, I mean, it, it's a different thing. But, you know, um, obviously people know me from Blind Guardian. They know Frederick from Blind Guardian. So I guess this helps Sindri a bit. Uh, as a kind of recognition, people get curious. On the other hand, it can, you know, I mean, this, this, this making people curious about what we do with Synbreed can be a very good thing. On the other hand, it can be tricky and backfire on you because obviously there will also be a couple of people that expect Synbreed to be something like Blind Guardian just because Frederick and me play in, in both bands. And obviously, obviously, Simbrick is something completely different. I mean, the music is melodic speed metal, yes. So there, of, there, there are some things that we have in, in, in common with Blind Guardian. But it's, it's, it's something still very different. You know, it's much more straightforward to the point, while Blind Guardian is much more progressive and with all the, the epic orchestration and all that stuff. So it's two completely different things. So um, it seeing Frederick and me in both bands might be misleading for some people. A couple of friends of mine, you know, I, I talked to them after, after Shadows was released here in Europe, like I think two weeks ago, and uh, they told me that they were surprised that it is so different from Blind Guardian and that they liked it a lot, which is a good thing. There was even one guy who said uh, that he liked it more than Blind Guardian, <laughs> which is fine for me too. Yeah. In both bands. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it definitely helps Simbi to get recognized by a couple of people that only know Blind Guardian and never heard about Simbi, so uh, they might investigate now and give it a try. And just people should be aware of the fact that it's completely different bands, so they should not expect to hear Blind Guardian Part 2 or something like that, because that's, that's not going to happen. That's very true. I mean, being that I'm a fan of both bands and I've listened to music for years, I definitely hear there's no comparison. It's two different bands. Like you said, just because of the name of you and Frederick, that might throw some people off. But I think if anybody heard this album and didn't know who it was, they would not, there would be no comparisons at all. I agree. I absolutely agree, and that's also something that was very important for me right from the beginning, because at least for me as a person, it does not make any sense to to join a second band and do the very same thing that I do with my main band already. Sure. You know, I wanted to do something different. I obviously still wanted to play metal because I'm just a metalhead, and I don't know if I if I could play other styles of music very convincing. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, um, that, that was important for me. I wanted to go into a different direction, and Simbreed obviously never sounded like Blind Guardian. I hope they never will, and uh, I think that's fine. Yeah. Well, with the new record, were you involved in the writing process at all, or was a lot of this stuff already uh, done before you were kind of hooked up with the band on a full-time basis? Uh, no, actually, only one song was half written when I, when I joined, so I was involved in, in pretty much all the writing. The funny thing is, um, the first new song that we had was the song Reborn. We already played it live a couple of times. We also played it on, we, we played Prog Power in Atlanta in, I think it was in 2012. We played that song live there. That was the live debut, I think. So that was the first song that we already had. But um, at that point, we were still a bit lazy when it came to, to writing, you know, nobody, 
we sat down and started writing. It only happened after we seriously started talking about finally doing a new album. And uh, the interesting thing was that at that point, suddenly everybody in the band started writing. And, uh, you know, I did three songs. Uh, Flo did, I think, three or four. Frederick did a song. Herbie did two songs. Alex did songs. And, you know, suddenly we had all the material going on that we needed for the album. And uh, I have to say it, it, it worked surprisingly fast and easy. And uh, it was a cool experience, you know. We, uh, we were exchanging parts over the Internet and, you know, doing demos and uh, Herbie was singing to our instrumental demos and stuff. It's, I think the whole writing process took us about maybe three months or something, I would guess now. So that, that was very, very nice. You, you just talked about the internet exchange of music on the internet. That seems to be a big thing today with bands, especially when members don't live, you know, within you know distance of each other where they can get together to practice and rehearse. You and, and you come from a time when there was no internet like me, and you know <laughs> bands had to be in the same room to write music together, play together. I mean, do you prefer it the old way where you know everybody lived in the same town and they got together every week and rehearsed, or is it kind of better this way where you could kind of like you know? deal with musicians from all over the world if you had to and still exchange music and make it sound like uh, like a band and a song um, I think I, I can't really say that I prefer either way I think both have advantages it can be very creative to be in a room with five people or four or how many members your band has and and write a song together it can be a great thing it can be an amazing experience and the result can be awesome. Uh, on the other hand, like with, with Simbri, you know, Frederick, Flo and Alex, they are living very close together, but Herbie and me are far away. You know, from me, if I want to go to the others, it takes me like two and a half hours by car. For Herbie, it's even three and a half hours or something. So obviously we, we, we don't rehearse three times a week or something like that. So um, with Simbri, we're depending on on using the internet or whatever to to write songs so uh, it's good to have this option with blind guardian um on the other hand it's a different thing because um the, the music that we write with blind guardian you can't jam this stuff with four people in a rehearsal room because you know then the orchestration is missing i mean obviously we're doing so many guitar stuff on the album you know it's like when we rehearse, there are only two guitars. So yeah. if you want to try all those layers and harmonies and, and stuff, you can't do this in a rehearsal room with just two guitar players. So for Blind Guardian songwriting, we are using our studio equipment at home anyway. So uh, even though we could do rehearsals, uh, we don't do them. <laughs> we write at home and we also use the internet. Sure. So, and, you know, it's it just whatever fits best, I think. I, I, I can't say that one is better than the other. I think the result is all that matters. And I don't really care if the song was written by four people within one room or by four people over the Internet or even by only one person or whatever, you know. If the song is good, that's all that matters to me. 
That's true. And, you know, I'm glad that we have this music out now. And uh, anything happening with Blind Guardian this year? I know you have a couple of shows lined up. And the one thing I loved about the band early on when you first started, was like, there was like a new record almost every year. Now it seems to be getting to like three and four-year marks. It's taking longer and longer to get albums out. And I know it's a different, you know, environment today, and the business is completely different than when the band started out. But, mm-hmm. I mean, do you like waiting that long in between to have a new record out and to have something to go out and play behind? Or is it hard, like, waiting that long? Um, for us, you know, we don't really think about this. Well, sometimes we do. We would like to speed things up a bit. The problem is uh, we, we can't really do this because once we put out an album, you know, let, let's take the example of the last album that we did, you know, at the edge of time. When it came out, we went on the road and we were touring for about two years. Yeah. And... Um, People just see, okay, the album was released in 2010, and now it's 2012, there's still no new album. No, of course there is not, because we've been on the road. And, you know, we, we can't write a new album while we're touring. So once we're done, we're, we're done with touring, we start writing. And um, Blind Guardian's music is pretty complex, so it just takes a bit of time to, to write all that stuff. You know, normally it takes us about a year to one and a half years to write 10, 12 songs for the next album. And once we're done writing, recording again takes maybe six months. And then you have your four years gone, you know? So yeah. that's, for us, that's the kind of normal, normal kind of rhythm. Obviously, if you're, if you're doing uh, more basic songs, you could speed things up. Because, you know, if, if, you, if you're writing music like verse, bridge, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, solo, chorus, and you're done, that's easier to write, and this is not meant to be criticizing those kind of songs, not at all. You know, I'm, I'm just saying what, what we're doing with Blind Guardian is very time-consuming, no matter if we're talking about writing or recording. Uh, with Synbeat, we could do things faster, definitely. As I said, writing Shadows took us about three months, recording was two and a half months, something like that. Yeah. I would say, so yeah, we, 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 we can also work faster. The problem with, problem with Simbrid is that uh, obviously when, when Frederick and me will be on the road with Blind Guardian next year, uh, we can't do much with Simbrid. So we have to adapt time schedules of both bands. So that's something that automatically will slow down Simbrid a bit. But uh, as soon as we're done with one Blind Guardian season, we can work on some again and you know fill the gaps for us which is something very nice <laughs> yeah it, it definitely is good to be busy in the music world today and i mean I guess i mean touring is probably like the bread and butter today for every musician being out on the road is probably you know what's left even though you look forward to having that new album out and writing that new music you know a lot of people today they're downloading stuff they're getting it for free they're not buying the records like they used to so i guess mm-hmm. the band really the lifeblood is being out on the road like you know to get the name out there and to get the new music heard uh, I definitely agree. I mean, I love writing stuff, I love recording stuff, but the absolute highlight to me about being a musician is going on the road, going on stage and, and playing for the people because that's the moment when you get this direct immediate feedback. You know, you go on stage, you start playing songs and you see how the people react to those songs. You see them going nuts, you see them, you know, banging and stage diving, and you hear them singing with you, all the words, the choirs, whatever, you know. That's, for me, that's the ultimate highlight. And uh, 
actually, I have to say, most people I know think the same, most musicians. There are a couple of people I know that still, even after many years in the business, they have stage fright, so <laughs> they might not enjoy it as much, but uh, at the end of the day, playing the show is awesome. I mean, that's, that's why you are a musician, you know? Yeah. You, you want to play with people, you want to play in front of people, you want to play for people, that's being a musician. Absolutely. You know, when you spend months in the studio, like, you know, working on new music and recording new music, whether it's with, you know, Simply the Blind Guardian, do the songs ever get draining or do they ever, like, get taxing where you're just like, okay, we've done this part so many times over to get it right. But does it change, like, when you get on the road? Because, like, that's the first time your fans are hearing that song. You know, you've heard it probably a million times in the studio working on it. For the fan, that would be the first time they hear it. So does it take on a new meaning when you've gotten kind of tired of working on a song in the studio to going out and playing it live for the first time for a fan? Um, it, it depends, yes. Obviously, if you play a song and you see the people completely going nuts, it is something that pushes you and that puts a smile on your face. On the other hand, there are a couple of songs that no matter how much the people might love those songs, you can't hear them at some point. <laughs> yeah. I have to say I'm, I'm very lucky that uh, I didn't reach that point with any Simply song so far. <laughs> I guess it's just way too new for me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, talking about my garden, uh, Valhalla would be such an example. You know, Valhalla is a very cool song. I'm not talking, nobody in the band is talking bad about this song, but nobody in the band can stand playing it because we're playing that fucking song since 1989 yeah. in almost every single show we ever did. And we did quite a lot of shows. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, uh, we know that people love that song. <coughs> That's why you still play it now. But, you know, um, it's not our favorite song. Definitely not. <laughs> I'm sure. It's like the Rolling Stones, they have to go out and play Brown Sugar for the last 45 years. Exactly. Years. They have to play because the fans want to hear it, but, you know, they're like, hey, let's do a different song off another record. They probably say yeah. it themselves. It happens. Yeah. I, I, I guess it happens to, to, to any band that, that is around for quite some time and, you know, has certain songs that people just want to hear at some point. You know, you, you you are there on stage and you look to the set list and you see that name coming up and you just think, oh, God, not again, you know. And I, <laughs> you mentioned Brown Sugar and the Stones, you know. You can add, like, I'm I'm pretty sure that Tony Iommi hates playing Paranoid and yeah. I'm pretty sure that Paul Stanley hates Detroit Rock City. And, you know, I mean, I love all those songs. When I go to their shows, I want to hear them, but I fully understand if they get sick of playing those Exactly. So, you know, yeah. It's just the way of things, you know. <laughs> well, maybe one day you guys will go out on tour and you do all the songs that you never got to play live from all the records that you have over the years. It's a bad problem to have, right, that you have songs that are so old that you're tired of playing them for the fans that want to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, the set list, you know, with, with each new album that you do, putting together a set list gets more and more tricky because, you know, obviously you want to play, you know, when... When you go on the road, you want to present some new songs, obviously. You did a new album, you want to play some new songs. Then there are some songs that you want to play because you just like them and maybe you didn't play them in a while, you know. And there are some songs that you just have to play because otherwise the people will crucify you and will complain, oh, they didn't play, blah, 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 whatever song. And, you know, it gets more and more tricky because the list of songs that we feel we have to play gets longer and longer and it gets more and more limiting 
you know, because there's either we start playing three or four hour shows, or we we have to keep some things out of the set, you know. Yeah. But uh, the thing is, um, no matter how hard you try, you can't please everybody out there. So uh, we don't even try. This. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, normally we try to please uh, us on stage, and uh, normally it works. So that's, that's the only thing you can do because if you try pleasing everybody and only have to, if, if you're only focusing on, oh, we have to do this and we have to do this, then you get lost at some point and it can't be the way. No, that's absolutely true. You know, the fans, when they watch you guys play on stage and they see that you're having a good time, they're going to have a good time automatically. Because if I they're a fan of the band, whether it's Simbreed or Blind Guardian, they don't care what song you play. They just want to hear your music and watch you guys play. So I think I that's, you know, the most important thing. You know, Marcus, I mean, you've been involved in the music scene for a long time. And I think back to, the, you know, the early 80s and... I remember Germany was always such a powerhouse for heavy metal and hard rock over the last three or four decades. But it seemed like back in the 80s, every band wanted to break big and make it in America. This was like the place to be. And now, you know, almost 30 years later, it seems like all the bands from America, they want to go over to Germany and over to Europe because that's where everything is happening right now. And have you seen the change over the decades, like from where, you know, you look to break out of Europe and now where you concentrate more in Europe than actually in the States or the U.K.? Um, I think it, it changed a bit, yes, because uh, when I started listening to metal, which was in, in the very early 80s, I think it was in early 81, you know, when, when Maiden put out Killers. Yeah. Back then, you know, obviously with the new wave of British heavy metal, the UK was the place, you know, you had Maiden, you had Saxon, you had Dead Leopard, you had Motorhead, you had all those bands, you know, so that was heaven for metal. And, you know, at some point, you know, in, in the middle of the 80s, then this whole Bay Area thing came out, you know, with, with Metallica and Slayer and, you know, later you had Testament and Forbidden and Exodus and whoever, you know. So things started shifting a bit, you know, and the attention went away from the UK and at least my attention went to the Bay Area then. And, you know, things got heavier and, you know, I think that's, that's just a kind of natural thing, you know, the scene develops and um, one day it's the UK, one day it's the USA, next day it's Germany and next year it might be whatever, Japan, I don't know, you know, for example, when, 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 when we played Japan with Blind Guardian in the early 90s, the first time, it was 91 or 92 or something, you know, that was that was amazing for us because, you know, suddenly we could play on the other side of that planet and, you know, Japan, it, it, it just already sounded so far away, you know, and suddenly we'd go on tour there. And by now I've been to Japan, I don't know how many times. So it's it, it always, you know, the, the, the exciting thing is always the place where you have not been before. And thank God there are still many places where we didn't play and so there's lots of stuff to still explore. So that's, I think it's, I, I, I can't really say that, um, that I would put my focus on a certain territory. You know, I can't say that I would focus on the States or on Germany or on any other country. I see the whole thing, you know, I, it doesn't matter if it's by Guardian or it's Sinbreed, I want to play anywhere. You know, wherever we can get a gig, I want to go there and play. If we've never been there before, even better. So I get to see a new country, get to meet new people, 
and uh, see all those places, you know, that's what touring is about for me. Because after all, uh, you're on tour, you're a musician for like two hours, and for 22 hours, you're a tourist. It's just very nice. <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, for me, it, uh, a country itself doesn't really matter that much. You know, for me, it's, it's, I want to go anywhere. I, wherever I can play a show, I want to go there play a gig. Well, I hope one of the places you get to, especially with Simbreed, is uh, here in the U.S. It would be great to see you guys play live over here. Right. Yeah, we, we definitely want to come back. I mean, as I mentioned before, we already played one show in the U.S., which was Prop Power in, in 2012. It was awesome, you know. I've been there before with my garden, like, in, I think, 10 years earlier. In 2002, we played there. Yeah. And it was awesome, you know. There were still many people of the local crew that... Um, that were greeting me, oh, you're back, we've seen you with my guardian like 10 years ago, let's see how you're doing with Simbrick. And it was awesome, you know, it was a great experience. And uh, I remember I was reading a review of the whole Frog Power Festival, like a week after or so. And it started with a line, kind of, you know, we were the very first band, we opened the whole festival. And um, that, that review started with a line, something like, can the very first band be the best band of the whole festival? Yes, wow. can. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded very good, you know. And I have to say, uh, the place was packed, the, the, the audience was great, you know, atmosphere, everything was perfect. So uh, we definitely want to come back. Thing is, we're, we're just scheduling things in the moment, so we don't have any shows confirmed for Simbrick in the moment. We're, we're just uh, checking schedules. Uh, as you mentioned before, there are some, some kind of gardening shows going on this year, so uh, we're seeing when we can go on the road with Simbrick, and uh, as soon as we have everything you know, scheduled, we'll definitely get some geeks and hopefully we'll be able to come back to the stage very soon because we would love to come. Oh, that would be fantastic. Well, Marcus, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I appreciate you talking with me today. The new Simbreed record comes out, I believe, this week in the U.S. I mean, it's already out in Europe, but it comes out in the U.S. this week. So mm-hmm. it's going to be great for people that haven't gotten a hold of it yet. What a tremendous record. I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. Hey, you're welcome anytime, mate. Thank you very much, Marcus. Take care. Thank you.
that was Vardis with Learn How to Shoot Straight. That comes off the just-released uh, Vigilante CD. It's not new. I mean, the album came out in 1986, but this is the first time that it's been available on CD. And if you didn't get the album back in the day, you probably couldn't find it over the years anyway, unless you paid a lot of money on eBay. Uh, but they just released it on CD. Everything has been remastered. It sounds phenomenal. Uh, go and pick a copy of this album up if you can. And right before that, off their brand-new record, Shadows, that was Sinbri with Called Arms. I want to thank Marcus for talking to us today. And in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to have Dan Watson from Hex on the show. But right now, let's talk to Mr. Ken Pierce. So if you're in the New York City area, there's going to be a lot of concerts going on this week, and Ken is going to fill us in. If you're visiting, check out Ken's website whenever you come to the city to find out what's happening and all these great venues that we have. So what's happening, Mr. Ken Pierce? Oh, hello there, Michael. How are you? And it's good to be here with the heavy metal May Hemiacs once again. And I'm sorry that I have no voice. I was shouting up a storm uh, with you the other night over at the uh, Satan show at the Black Bear Bar. What a great show that was. And man, huh, I, I'm, I'm without words about how impressed I was. But let me get right down to the nitty-gritty for you because I know you got a really busy program. I don't see anything happening this evening after the show so fans can rest. Uh, the first thing picks up on Tuesday, on Tuesday and on Wednesday where the used and taking back Sunday will be doing back-to-back nights at the Best Buy Theater. So that's Tuesday and Wednesday, both nights. Also on Wednesday, you got Oceano and Broken Hope. They are, uh, this show was originally scheduled at the Gramercy Theater that's going to have the, uh, the Janis Joplin play or was scheduled to have the Janis Joplin play. That is going to be with Fallujah, Rivers of Nihil, and Kublai Khan over at Santos Party House. Small venue, so if you want to go, get your tickets fast. Friday is a night I am super excited about because Iced Earth is going to invade the Best Buy Theater once again, and they're bringing along Sabaton and Revamp as their direct support. Revamp actually features Floor Jansen, who is now the lead singer of Nightwish, so you don't want to miss this show, and Sabaton is great as well. That is Friday. On Saturday, the Metal Alliance Tour, my friends, is sold out for New York City. So if you're lucky and can get a ticket, this is Behemoth. 1349, Goat Inquisition, and Black Crown Initiate. New York City's going to get blacker uh, with the metal that night. So you want to be there or at least standing outside and hearing the whole building shake. Uh, also on Saturday, a lot of people are, are interested in the fact that it is Record Store Day. And I'm sad to announce, uh, I don't know if anybody saw this post, but J&R Music World has closed its doors. Uh, this was a institution in New York City, and uh, so that's where we would have had Record Store Day celebrations that day. And uh, that is all I have for you guys this week. Remember, my friends, you can always find Piercing Metal on Facebook and on Twitter. So I suggest you uh, come down, give us a follow or a like, and I'll try to keep you in the loop with everything that's going on during the week. Until next time, I will talk to you later, Mikey. Take care. You got it, Kenny. Take care, buddy. And, and something coming up in May. Uh, if you're from the New York, New Jersey area, you might remember a club called Bonnie, Bonnie's Rocks. 
uh, great little rock club that was going on, and they're having a reunion. This is the second one. It's going to be on May 16th and 17th, and there's it's a lot of great bands on the two-day, but a lot of local acts getting together. You're going to see the Dead End Kids on the bill. Crank is on the bill one day. The next day gets a lot heavier. you got Anvil Bitch and Faith or Fear, uh, both bands out of uh, Pennsylvania, out of the Philadelphia area. Without Warning is on the bill. Ski, which is a band by my good friend Norman Ski, from uh, you remember him from Faith or Fear. He's going to be on that bill. And John Karabi, I believe, is headlining uh, both nights. And uh, we're going to have John on the show when we get closer to that, I believe. Uh, Norm's working on that for us. So we might have John Karabi in here to talk about that. So definitely check it out. If you go on Facebook, go to Bonnie Rocks. I want my rock reunion, too. You can find out more info on what's happening with that show over there. But let's get a couple more tunes on before we reach out to Dan. Uh, how about Black Tears? Perfect Demon. <laughs>
Man, I gotta tell you, I've been playing the hell out of that record. That's a band called Lost Society. A bunch of young kids out of Finland. I mean, I mean, they're bringing back '80s thrash big time, and it sounds just great. That record. It kind of reminds me a little bit of you know old school Exodus, especially in his voice over there. Um, some really good stuff. Not exactly what you expect from Finland. It's not the kind of music that usually comes out of there. Uh, to be honest with you, so they're a great sounding band. I'm gonna try to work to get them on the show. So definitely check them out. Big on them. That's like the second record. It just came out a little while ago. Uh, so there you go, Lost Society. All right, how about we get on a tune by Hex? I'm going to get Dan on the line, and we'll get that interview going. Here's Twice as Bright. There you go, Hex. Let's get Dan on the line right now. 
Uh, I was asking my wife, they'd give me the phone number. She's rattling out the numbers like, you know, like uh, one, two, three. You know, my secretary's off today, I had to tell her. So slow down a little bit over there. All right, we'll get Dan on the line right now. And I just want to remind everybody, uh, I know I said we weren't going to do a show next week because it's Easter Sunday, and I want to wish all my Christian friends a happy Palm Sunday today and all my uh, fellow friends from the Jewish faith that Passover season is just beginning. So maybe we'll close out today's show with Metallica's Creeping Death. But uh, we're going to have a new show next Sunday night, but I'm going to pre-record it the day before. Uh, because I have some great interviews that I had to pre-record this week with Rob Tidd from uh, Bashful Alley and Ronnie Atkins from Pretty Made. So I think, you know what, since those interviews are pre-recorded, we'll get them on uh, next Sunday. We'll put a whole show together. So we'll be brand new, just pre-recorded. All right, let's get Dan on the line here. Hello? Dan, it's Mike from Heavy Metal Mayhem. You're on the air, buddy. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm going great, man. How about you? Good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, anytime. Listen, I'm a big fan. I go back to the 80s. I'm not one of these young guns over here. just came across you guys last week on the internet, so I'm glad (laughs) that you're still doing it, man, and you're still out there playing. That's a great thing, you know? Hey, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, you know, it's a a lot of fun. You know, we, we, we really enjoy it. I'm glad. And, you know... I mean, you got the band back together, like, about a year or so ago. I mean, did you see, like, interest, like, through the Internet, like, the social media sites, like, you know, Facebook? And, well, I don't know if MySpace is still active anymore, but, I mean, places like that? Uh, you know, I, not really. I really wasn't looking for it. You know, at the time, my head was not thinking about Hex at all. I just was assuming that it was, you know, dead and dormant, and nobody really gave it, gave it any thought, you know. So it never occurred to me that anything would be, you know stirring or bubbling about hex you know yeah but i'm glad but, i'm glad it is so am i i mean you, know, you go back to the very beginning back to the early days of the band i mean the band started as a paradox as a lot of you know the old fans know already and you had the name for quite a few years before changing over to hex and i'm sure it's because of other bands using the name at the time you didn't want to get confused and have any legal problems and everything but was it hard to change the name of the band of having it for so many years and you know working on building up like that brand back then yeah, but you know, um it all came about because uh when we, you know, signed up with Shrapnel Records for that first record No Escape, um he did a a name search and he, he you know, figured that there, you know, this is before the internet was really yeah. happening, you know, so how whatever resources he had for that, he he came back and told us, "Eh, there's already a couple paradoxes out there. I don't want any legal problems, you know." So think of another name we're like uh really you know right now on the spot you know that's <laughs> the so way you know everybody went home and wrote down names and once we sit through all the ridiculous ones hex was the only one that we could really agree upon and it was awkward you know we'd been paradox for so long um but it was either that or you know not have a record out so we just you just became hex you know yeah, you went with the flow there. Well, well, you know, the No Escape record, and even the Underspell record, are like a classic albums, you know, in the underground scene. And you sort of got the No Escape lineup almost back together for, I know you're going to plan to keep it true in about two weeks. You sort of got that classic yeah. lineup back together almost. Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, at least half of it, you know, Dennis Manzo and myself. Um, Bill Peterson was in there. He um, played on on the demo we made. But he, you know, he came across some health problems, so he couldn't make this particular show. But he's he's still kind of hanging in there, in the background. And then we have um, um, our replacement bass player is Mike Horn, and um, our drummer is Gary Gutfeld, who um, 
I, I, Bill and I had played with for years in um, a psychobilly band we'd been doing for years and years called the Hellbillies. So, so you got you know you guys are all familiar with yourself. Yeah, you've all been oh, playing yeah. together for a long time, so that's good. And I'm glad about that. But like a lot of fans go back and like they look over the lineup of the band over the years. You had a different singer from No Escape, and then under the spell, and then even after you had a, Clint came in, you know, and kind of took over that. And the band changed dr- drastically, like from those first yeah. two records to like you know from like Watery Graves uh, to the Morbid Reality albums. Uh, was that something that you just wanted to do to like to stay relevant with the change in times, or was that the kind of music you guys were getting into, or was it certain band members leading in that direction? Because it kind of divided the fans in half, and even till today, you have fans that you know are like diehard No Escape and Under the Spell fans, and then you have fans that are like more reality only. Yeah, I know it's a weird thing. Um, <clears throat> well, it was a combination of things, Mike. Um, uh, Playing live here in the Bay Area, you know, competing with all the other acts that were, you know, kind of blossoming at that time, everything was leaning towards faster, heavier, thrashier sounds. And even though power metal was probably still more popular overseas, we never at that time we didn't get a chance to go over there and exploit that. So we were kind of stuck here in the Bay Area, playing with all these other bands, and our gigs were very, very limited with the power metal stuff, you know. And so. And also, <clears throat> we were, you know, dissatisfied with the, you know, the deals we got and how things panned out for us for both those records. So we were becoming angry, and that kind of showed up in our music. And um, after the first album, when um, uh, Manzo left, uh, we got Bryant in there for the second album. And you know, we did the album, and that um, things didn't work out with him either. So that further angered us, and we just decided, well, you know, we don't need the whole lead singer thing and that's what we decided well the hell with the Clint you sing you know yeah and uh and we just developed you know faster heavier and he you know he had more of a death metal sound to his his vocal approach so it just kind of worked out that way and we did the help yourself demo after you know in our in our eyes no um under the spell of no escape pretty much flopped to us and so we figured well that didn't work so let's just you know, channel our energy and our anger into this new batch of songs, which came out to be the um, Help Yourself demo, which, you know, we later got picked up by uh, Music for Nations, and that uh, became Quest for Sanity. Yeah. And then from there, yeah, we just we just kept on that, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, people forget how hard it was, you know, back in the 80s. It wasn't the internet to help move your music along. You kind of had to be local and you know, build up a following there. And when you come from an area where Thresh was king, you know, the Bay Area back in the 80s, I mean, you know, yeah. Testament, all those bands. And, you know, a lot of bands actually, back then, they would move. I mean, bands that weren't playing Thresh or any, they moved to California or New York. I mean, bands actually relocated to kind of fit in with the scene that was going on to build up an audience. And was that ever an option back then? Or did you guys say, you know, we're going to stay here where we are and just, you know, adapt? Yeah, no, we never thought about relocating. You know, it was Bay Area has been our home, so um, <clears throat> yeah, that that never occurred to us. But uh, and we we thought, uh, you know, we thought everything was working out fine. Actually, we seemed to have just as many gigs and stuff doing the thrash metal <coughs> stuff, and you know, we were able to secure you know small independent record label deals and continue on and make and you know get our music out there. So yeah, it was it was it was the competition was just fierce, you know. It's sure. there's everybody and their cousin's brother had a kick ass death metal band, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. You know, <laughs> you know, and uh, our records, you know, it, it seemed like uh, they were, they just got lost in a sea of 
other, you know, releases, and there are a lot of good bands out there, so, you know, we flood the market with that kind of music. Not everybody can make it to the top, you know? Sure, it's hard. You know, you signed the Shrapnel, which is really, it was like an up-and-coming label back then. You know, it wasn't like it was... Well, now it has a name for itself, but back then it was kind of a new label just getting started. So, I mean, I, when you sign to a band, when, when a band signs to a label, do you expect the label to kind of like take over and really like, you know, push the band with promotions as much as possible? Because I hear a lot of people complain that we're on Shrap at the time that, you know, they're just going to get that push by the label back then that they needed, or maybe they weren't capable of doing it, you know, back then. Yeah, well, it depends on the label, but <clears throat> like with Shrapnel, for example, um, they I had a tendency just to sign a lot of bands and um, only really probably had funds and resources to get behind a few select ones they thought would, you know, do well. So, you know, you, you sign a lot of bands and some of them do good and some of them just sit on the shelves, you know? Yeah, it's hard. But when, when it came to the Morbid Reality record, you had signed the Century Meet, a really well-known established company. And I believe you had like a seven album or a seven-year contract with them, which is which is pretty wild, you know, back in the day. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember it being that many. I think <clears throat> maybe it was. I don't know. I, I have to go back and look through my contracts. I just had to d- dug out all my contracts that I've had for years and finally kind of go over them. But, um, yeah, I don't remember how many record deal it was. It was maybe it was maybe five or seven. I, I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, it was, then they were all at their option. You know, if, if yeah. at any point they could, they could say, that, oh, that's it. And so, they, you know, after... Um, we had already recorded Morbid Reality and funded it ourselves and already contracted the artwork from Kent Matthew and had the complete package we were shopping. So we weren't shopping a demo. We were shopping the completed album, you know, with artwork yeah. and everything. And uh, so Century Media, you know, sold us as easy. You know, we just asked for X amount of money and, you know, standard deal. And, and they, you know, they gave it to us. And then we figured, great, you know, we'll <clears throat> get to work and writing the next album. And that was right around the time the bottom was kind of starting to fall out of the, of the metal scene. And so they opted not to pick up our option for another release. And that's right about when the band pretty much broke up right there. Because there was no no more label support, and it just seemed like we had just tired of banging our head against the wall and not really getting anywhere. So we just kind of fizzled out at that point. Yeah, yeah, a few years after Morbid Reality, the band, you know, packed it in. And it's like you say, you know, 91, the scene was still really relevant and alive, but, man, you know, you took it 24 months later. I mean, you know, you couldn't give the stuff away. I mean, all the fans just abandoned it. I don't know what happened. I don't know how you could be into heavy metal one day, and then uh, then 24 months later, grunge is the new thing, and you're into that. We're a very trendy country, and we just kind of move around. But, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, like, the diehards, like, it's just, like, abandoned an entire genre of music in, like, such a short period of time, but it happened. And was that like, yeah. was that like the main cause of you? I was like saying, like you know, just banging your head against the wall trying to get anywhere. And when you're going up against a scene that doesn't even exist anymore, it, it had to be devastating. You have to put in so many years of trying to make it work. Yeah, it was, Mike. It was, it was, you know, it was hard on everybody. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we we just kind of uh, all went our separate ways, and um, I ended up uh, just kind of out of frustration you know, kind of went back into roots music and kind of got into rockabilly and that kind of led me into psychabilly. And I did that for many years. And, uh, and so did Bill and, and, um, John Marshall, uh, from metal church got into it for a while too. We had like a kind of a, uh, a, you know, high end rock and rock and rolly rockabilly band called yeah. Tombstones going for a while. And we were just having fun doing that. We just kind of put the whole metal thing aside 
you know, we had our metal roots, so, you know, we were on the, you know, the higher end of the, of trying to do rockabilly. We were like the uh, bull in the china shop approach, you know, with all these hard metal players <laughs> trying to play rockabilly, you know. And Bill played stand-up bass and was tearing that up. And, yeah, we did that for, for years and years. And, uh, you know, kind of now we're like full circle, you know. It's like, wow, the metal thing's kind of coming back. You know, it's fun to yeah. play that stuff. And uh, we can still do it, so yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's a cycle, and it's you know seems to be repeating itself. Yeah, we've gone through sixty. Well, with the rockabilly stuff, I mean, the audiences are they more like dedicated to the music, where they they don't abandon it, and they kind of stick with it? I mean, is it a different vibe that you get from the audiences compared to the metal crowd? That's it's it's, <clears throat> it's similar in a sense that uh, you know that's that's their chosen music. That's what they identify with, and. It's a little more of a click with the rockabilly thing because the people uh, tend to be real, you know, they're purists. You know, they all dress in vintage clothing and pull up in vintage cars. And, you know, you have to have, you know, the right hollow body guitar and the stand-up bass and your underwear better be from 1956 and everything. You know? so, <laughs> you know, it, was, it was trippy, but, you know, we <clears throat> we got into it just because it was, you know, just fun just discovering that old music. And playing metal for so long, it was, you know, the, you know, the m- music we played was so removed from roots music, you know, blues and rockabilly and rock and roll. And so it was fun to get in there and learn that stuff and play around with it. And we had we had a lot of fun with it. But it, it was nothing quite like playing through a Marshall stack in front of a big crowd and watching them all go nuts. You know, that doesn't happen with rockabilly too much. Yeah, I know. I mean, I can fit right to the Rockabilly crowd because mine are wear from 1956. Just that they're not vintage; they're original. That's only problem. <laughs> I fit yeah. right in with that crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I know? watch mine once a week, whether they need it or not. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Every other Sunday. But you know, you yeah. talked about John Marshall before, and John uh, actually worked with you on the Morbid Reality record. And I heard on the new demo, which I never heard any of the songs off that new demo you guys cut, but I hear it's kind of like a return to the roots of the band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, John Marshall has been involved in almost every recording and demo project we've ever done on some level. Toward the end, you know, he became an engineer, and he was engineering. He engineered uh, Quest for Sanity and the Watery Graves. He engineered all of Morbid Reality, and uh, he engineered our new demo as well. Yeah, I, I should ask you if you could have got me some of those MP3s, I would have got them on today. But, uh, I mean, you know, you got Dennis singing again, so you're kind of going back to the No Escape era. Is that in, like the, the vibe of the new tunes? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we've been, you know, um, hearing that, you know, they, they want the sound and style of those first two records, you know, the No Escape and the Under the Spell. And uh, after going through and doing all the other stuff we did, it's kind of hard to go back and write like that, you know? Yeah. Um, cause that was at a certain time in our careers where, you know, that's, that's what, that's where we were, you know, we listened to old rainbow and black Sabbath and that's kind of the style that we, you know, that we did. So <clears throat> it's, um, it's, it's challenging to believe it or not to go, to go back and try to write like that. But that's pretty much what the, the, the new demo is, is trying to achieve, but it's a little, it's a little different. It has some other, you know, uh, I don't want to say thrashier, but it has some other heavier parts to it and some, a little more elaborate parts than than some something you might hear on No Escape and Under the Spell. Yeah. So we may still tweak those songs. We're <clears throat> you know we're trying to get some um, some things lined up for a future release, and 
we're we're pouring over lots of material for for a new record, and it's but oh, it's going to be, be in that in that power metal style. It'll it'll be in that. We're shooting to try to make something that sounds like it could have been off No Escape or Under the Spell, because you know we have De- we have Dennis, you know, with his voice, so that's that's half the battle, you know. Sure, getting yeah. That, getting that singer there, you know. Well, I, I was sure it's hard, like you said, because, you know, you were in a certain mindset, you know, when you recorded those records. And, you know, 30 30, it is actually 30 years since uh, No Escape came out. All these years later, yeah. you know, you've been influenced by so many other genres of music. You, you know, your playing has progressed. So, you know, it's kind of hard to say, you know, I'm going to write a song like off that album because you're just not there anymore. So I, it's always going to have, I guess, that new influence of where you are now mixed in, like, you know, what you grew up playing it and listening to. But it must be hard trying to say, I have to write a song like that, because sometimes it's just not in you anymore. Yeah, but, you know, if if anything, it's it's proven it could be done. Look at Metallica's Death Magnetic. You know, that's, to me, that's, they really, you know, they had a lot of fans that were just like, man, you guys got to get back to your old style, you know, and I'm sure they got tired of hearing that. And they did that, I think, with that album. And so, you know, we're we're going to try to, you know, make our Death Magnetic, if you will, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know you got the Keep It True Festival coming up in two weeks. Is this the first time the band's going over to Europe for like one of these festivals? Yeah, this is the first time Hex has been over there. I've been over there several times with different groups, but uh, this is the first time Hex has performed outside of the United States. That's going to be great. Uh, uh, Are you going to do the whole album, or are you going to just kind of mix it up throughout the the career? Uh, No, they were very specific. They wanted uh, material only from the first two albums. So we're doing like the best of both albums. So we're doing all the up-tempo, catchy numbers, you know, from both albums in the set. I actually yeah. have the set list here if you want to hear what the set list is going to yeah, be. Yeah, sure. I would, I would love to hear it. Okay, let's see. We're going to open with Terror. We're going to do Invader. Then we're going to do The Victim. Uh, no Escape. Edge of Death. Uh, Look to the Sky. Night of Pain. Beware of the Darkness. The Hex, The Other Side, Hell Riders, Under the Spell, and then we're going to close out with Out for Control. Ah, nice. All you got to do is throw a lift for the night in there, and you're all set. What's that? All you got to do is throw a lift for the night in there, and you're all set. Yeah, we're thinking about that. There's, we're, we're thinking, ah, you know, <clears throat> there's so many songs where some of them just lend themselves a little better to a live set than, sure. than some of those. But, yeah, I think I think Dennis... Um, in fact, Dennis might have might have wanted to do that one. I can't remember. But anyway, this, that's the batch of tunes we've been working on, and uh, that's those are the songs we're going to attempt to play at the festival. <laughs> that's going to sound great. I, and I know you have a show coming up locally. I guess a little warm up gig to get you guys ready to head over there. When is that, when's that taking place? Uh, we actually did that last Saturday. Oh, sorry, I, I thought it was coming up. No, we actually no, that's cool. It was uh, yeah, last Saturday we played at a friend of mine has a a little uh place near Jack London Square called Merchant Saloon and uh uh we we just did a did our set there and uh there's actually um uh a, a little teaser video we just posted on our website the uh uh Hex official band page and the Hex Barrier metal page a little teaser video clip of us doing a couple songs from that show there and then there's some pictures of of it as well but yeah it went well that uh yeah it was a lot of fun 
Oh, that's great, man. Are you thinking about like maybe trying to turn this into something more full time now, where you're just going to kind of like pick and choose your shows or the festivals and get the album out when you can, or you're going to look to maybe try to get out and you know tour a couple of places and move around? I know it's not so easy today to just like pick up and travel cross country in a van with four guys and stop playing shows, but are you going to try to make it more, get more active with the band now that you've got it going again? Yeah, well, you know, Mike, it's, some of it's kind of contingent. Um, we're in the middle of uh, negotiating some uh, record deals to get all our old material reissued and re-released, and along with the new studio album. And our attorney is actually negotiating with uh, some, you know, some labels right now on that. And um, if that all comes to pass, then we will likely be trying to do any any type of festivals or little mini tours we can do to support any of those releases. It, like I said, it's hard because, you know, we're all in our, you know, early 50s, and we all have, you know, jobs and families and such, and it's, uh, there's not a lot of money to be made in this, in this music anyway, just as yeah, kind of the narrow, narrow market, you know, but, um, but yeah, we're hoping to, we're hoping to do well at the festival, uh, to keep it, at the Keep It True Festival, and we're hoping to get invited to maybe play some other festivals if, if we prove ourselves worthy, you know. Yeah, that's, that's our thing. Is we want to kick ass the festival and hopefully say, hey man, come play this festival or, you know, and do a couple weeks here, you know, and then we'll definitely be open to that. Sure, it's like stepping stones. I mean, when I mean the band already is known like to all the metalheads, you know, that have grew up in the '80s listening to you guys. But in a way, does it feel like you're kind of starting over again? You got to like you know build all the pieces to the puzzle again, or does it help that you've kind of had the name bearing recognition from you know back in the early days, and you know you kind of get it's like you got to step up to pick like somebody brand new just starting out. Oh no! It, yeah, it, it's 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 a major advantage having you know having somewhat of a name and you know enough interest to get asked to play festivals and to get asked to have our you know uh, uh, records re-released. So that you know without that it would just be yeah starting over. With it, that's just too much work, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> was it was but, um, it when when you first started doing it again? I mean, did you kind of like you know? keep playing these songs over the years, like even like in, you know, rehearsing or practicing or did you, when you got the band back together, was it the first time you started playing these songs again? And was it, was it hard to kind of remember them? <laughs> you know, is, is it like riding a bike? Does it just come back to you? No, it was, for me, it was, it was kind of hard. Um, yeah. Cause like I said, you know, we, we hadn't been doing that kind of music at all. I mean, with the Hellbillies, it was, you know, Hellbillies were kind of like a punky rockabilly band, you know, with, and with me in there, I had you know added a little bit of a metal flavor to it, but that's about as hard as the, as we played. Um, and we hadn't done these songs in 30 years, and uh, the whole thing came around because uh, you know Laurent from Snake Pick Magazine contacted me through Facebook and um, asked me, "Hey man, you guys want to do this festival? You know, we'll pay for your airfare and everything." And and I said, ah, you know, start thinking about it and start talking to the guys and. We decided we'd get together and, and see if we could still play the stuff. And it was a little rusty at the beginning. You know, I'll admit it was it was like, uh-oh, yeah. it wasn't so easy. And uh, we stuck at it, and, you know, now we're, I think we're now we're back to about about as good as we can be for a bunch of old guys, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you start, you know, you feel like you're 20 in your mind, but sometimes you realize you're not anymore. <laughs> I, I know exactly yeah. how that feels, you know. But I'm sure it's going to sound great, man. And I hope that they recorded, or you guys recorded, or even a video it would be phenomenal to see a video of Hex playing live again. You know, is there any thoughts yeah. about maybe doing a DVD of it? 
Oh, it is. Yeah, it's already set up. Um, there is like a six or eight camera, high definition video crew filming the whole thing, and that's part of our uh, negotiations. We're we're trying to set up uh, that um, there's going to be a box set coming out, and the the DVD of this concert will be part of that box set. Oh, that's going to be great, man. That'll be yeah, fantastic. So. Uh, yeah, so I can't hopefully we don't it's, screw up too bad because it's going to be documented. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, you know, a little powder cake makeup. Everybody looks like the 20 years old again. It happens. Sure, sure. <laughs> I don't worry about it. Hey, well, Wear you know, a wig Dan, and a girdle. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, you, know, you know, Dan, I'm not going to keep you much longer, man. I appreciate you talking to me today. We've got a few minutes left in the show, and I want to get on some hex music for everybody to hear, but you know, the best oh, cool. of luck at keep it true, man. And you know what, when the new stuff comes out, come back on the show, we'll play it, we'll promote it. And hopefully we'll be able to get you here to the East coast and, uh, see hex live. Oh, that'd be awesome, man. We'd love to do that. Uh, it would be, it would be fantastic. if We can make that happen. So, uh, listen, I can't thank you enough once again for coming on today, Dan, and um, hey. hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime, buddy. Thank you very much. You have a good day over there. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Dan Watson from Hex, really nice guy. The band is going to kill it to keep it true. I mean, I tell you, if there's any festival I want to go to in my lifetime, I definitely want to get over there to go see that one. It's definitely, I think, the premier festival for, like, classic 80s music. And uh, they do a great job of putting it on every year. And I probably, next week after the show is all, they'll be announcing the lineup for 2015. There's, like, a list of bands waiting to play there. So definitely uh, pick up some Hex records. And when the new one comes out, like I said, we'll be playing it. Here's a time of war.
Right, that was Snow White. I tell you, back in the 80s, there were probably a couple of bands I would have definitely liked if I knocked boots with that females in there. And Nicole Lee from Snow White was definitely one of them. Marion Scandafino from, from Black Lace. Any of the sisters from Heather Leather. <laughs> they even look good today, those girls. So, uh, and, uh, and actually, the band Leather Angels. So, uh, at least some of the girls in that band. <laughs> some of them look like guys. But then again, on a drunken night, who the hell knows what would have happened. <laughs> but uh, there you go, Snow White. All right. We're down to the list of the show. Uh, even though I rarely if ever play Metallica on here, we're going to get on uh, Creeping Death for the Passover Easter season. But I want to thank my guest tonight, Dan Watson from Hex and Marcus Sipen from Simbreed and Blind Guardian. Don't forget to tune into the Metal Matinee this Thursday at 12 p.m. EST. It's sold out, and we're not talking about concerts. We're talking about bands that sold out, in my opinion, in the 80s. Bands that were great classic metal bands that kind of went wimpy in hair metal when that was popular. Head metal bands that went thrash when thrash was popular, like, you know, Pantera. So we get on as many of those tunes as we can. Maybe we'll do two songs by each band. One when they were great, and one when they kind of changed over. So don't forget to tune in for that. Thursday, 12 p.m. Like I said, next Sunday, it's Easter Sunday. We won't have a live show, but it'll be brand new. Interviews with Ronnie Atkins from Pretty Maids and Rob Tip from Bashful Alley. Great new wave of British heavy metal bands. So don't forget to tune in back then. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening tonight. I do appreciate it. So let's wrap things up here with some Metallica and Creeping Death. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. And if we don't see you by the end of the week, you guys have a happy Easter next Sunday also. Take care.
best heavy metal anywhere. BlogTalkRadio.com and Heavy Metal Mayhem. Yeah. 